0: Welcome to The Watching World Podcast, a podcast of abundant life whose mission is to see lives changed by Jesus and whose vision is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I'm your host, Les Norman, and today on our episode, it is episode four of the series, Sharing the Gospel in Post-Christian America. Today, we are going to discuss, can we trust the Bible, the archaeological evidence? One of my favorites of all time, Ed Croteau, is here FSC University. He is our lead. He's been uh, teaching that class, which my son and I dearly love. And it seems like the recurring guest, the anchor, uh, lead pastor at Abundant Life, Pastor Phil Hopper. Ed, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Les. Things good in your world? Things are awesome. Better than I deserve. Well, it's, that's probably all of us, Pastor Phil. It's,
1: it's, been, a, it's been a good day for you and it's been I, an man. awesome day. This is podcast we just day, do this every day? Uh, hey. Hang out with Les, Ed comes in. Yeah, I just
0: wish there was food here. That's the only complaint Uh, I have. Okay, I brought you water. That's my next step up. I'll bring you food next time. Yeah, I think so, Les. Phil
2: and I are both disappointed. I'll (laughs) hydrate (laughs) you.
0: I'll hydrate you next time I'll hydrate and feed you. How's that? Uh But until then, you need to feed us today scripturally, but we're going to do it in an archeological way. So this is a great series. I'm learning so much and digging in. I'm learning so much from... FSC University, nine thirty at the core on Sundays. Make sure you come; it's open to the public, right? Yep. Yes. So please go. Um, and so here's the big question: based in archaeology, Ed, I'm going to let you run with this. How can site excavation and the analysis of artifacts and physical remains actually prove that the Bible can be trusted? You know the simple question.
2: Yes. So I'm going to start by saying you call me a nerd. My, no, I call right? you my
0: favorite nerd.
2: Okay, so food would fix that, but you call me that. <laughs> now, let's remember, Phil is a nerd too. If you, if you remember in his, what? in his sermon last what? week, <laughs> he said to everybody how much he loves science, and he's a science geek. So I want to make sure you understand, we have a senior pastor who believes in this stuff. That The, 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 the core thing I want to start with about Christianity is that the basis for Christianity, for me being a Christian is because it's true, right? It's great that it offers all those things, forgiveness, all those wonderful things that come with it, but it wouldn't mean anything if it was a lie. Right. So the reason we do this is because, and the reason Phil's a geek like me, is because as you look and you examine, you realize it can absolutely transform your life. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I'm going to start there. Now, okay. now let's talk about archaeology and excavation. The thing that to remember is it's kind of like... What we do, or what Phil can relate to this, actually, crime scene investigation. Mm -hmm. This is after the fact. So archaeology is not, you're not watching something happening at the moment. After the what? After the fact.
0: The fact. Right. After the fact.
2: It's a historical look backwards Mm -hmm. into events that happened in the past. This Mm -hmm. is exactly what our pastor did when he was a policeman. You'd gather evidence at a crime scene to make conclusions.
1: Yeah. And some of that evidence is eyewitness accounts. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about that, I think, on the last podcast with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yep. The biblical manuscripts. Yeah. Are eyewitnesses. Yep. And so you start to evaluate the credibility of those eyewitnesses. Yep. And we discovered the eyewitnesses are really, really reliable. Yep. And now we're going to talk about the uh, physical evidence at right. the scene, so to speak. Yes. Which is the modern science of archaeology.
2: Yes. So when a policeman goes to a crime scene and he discovers things like uh, blood or maybe an instrument that he thinks was part of uh, the the crime that was committed, he's collecting what they call circumstantial evidence. Now, as he builds his case by putting these all together to come to a conclusion. So as an example, when we see in the Psalms dated a thousand BC that some person had his hands and feet pierced <laughs> in 1000 BC. And people sit there and go, well, I don't know what that means. And then we discover in ossuary, those are, those are, these are a bone box of people that are dead. We discover an actual iron spike through someone's heel, that picture of archeolo- archaeological evidence of crucifixion. We know for a fact we can trust the Psalms that, that this person on the cross who was crucified really was. So there's an example. So archaeology is really called the science of excavating and then analyzing artifacts and, ar- and architecture of past cultures so you can learn more about them and come to conclusions. That's what we're doing.
0: So okay. are there specific things then? What, what's, that, what's out there that shows us?
2: Oh, my goodness. So you have – now, if we're going to talk biblical things, but you don't have to talk biblical things. This is when they excavate sites and they discover – the Egyptian pyramids, they discover, today we'll talk about Nineveh, this whole idea of this huge city and the Assyrians. They discover um, the Praetorium when, the, when uh, Pontius Pilate talks about behold the man and they're going to put forward that Jesus Christ was crucified in this certain, or was uh, put to sentencing in a certain room, and they discover that room. Or when we have coinage, and on the coin it gives an inscription of a certain king and the Bible tells you who this king is, and you can date the coins to that time, you know something's going on. Uh, Babylon, I, I can go on and on. We won't do that. But in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar would actually stamp bricks with his name on it when he was building cities. And so they found bricks with his name. So now we know Nebuchadnezzar was a real king at that time. So it's that kind of evidence that substantiates the literature of the author. You want to go back and see, is the content of the author's literature and what he's saying? able to be demonstrated true based on external evidence, and one Mm -hmm. of those is Mm archaeology.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's overwhelming, frankly. Archaeology always catches up to the Bible less. That's right. And this is what makes, again, our faith is unique. Listen, I've been to the Holy Land many times. What I love about going there is the things you read about in Scripture are still there. Everything was made out of stone in the ancient days. Unlike our modern building materials of, say, drywall, that may not be here a century from now, and uh, you know, shingles made out of you know petroleum base. These things are biodegradable. They eventually be, become dust, and there's not much evidence left. Well, in the ancient world, things were made out of materials that last. That's why the pyramids are still there. You can go to the Holy Land today and your faith becomes sight. And when I say the archaeology always catches up to the Bible, over and over again, cynics, historics try to point out historical contradictions in scripture. Uh, the Bible is not a book of science, but where the Bible speaks into science, it's always accurate. Uh, the Bible is not a history book, but it is a book of history. So one can assume if it is the Word of God, God's going to get his history right. So you know, critics love to try to take these historical narratives, pay people, places, events, cities, and try to say, "Oh no, that never happened." See, there's no evidence of that outside of the Bible. Well, over and over again archaeology catches up to the Bible. Uh, I'll give you an example. For years and years and years, skeptics said, well, there's no evidence at all of King David anywhere except in the Hebrew Scriptures. So, surely, if he was this great ancient monarch of the ancient Middle East, surely there'd be some extra-biblical writing about him. See, he probably never existed. This is just Jewish folklore. He's a myth. Well, in 1993 as archaeologists were excavating the ancient city of Dan, by the way, that's a place we go on our Holy Land tour, Mm -hmm. they found a fragment of a stella containing, it's called the Tel Dan inscription, uh, where there is a reference to the house of David. You have this ancient Armenian king who has defeated, in the uh, the, the, uh, 5th century B.C., uh, two of his enemies, And there's a specific reference that's inscribed as having defeated the king of Israel and the king of the house of David. And this was found in 1993. So for generations, people said, well, David never existed. These were unbelieving scholars and historians and critics. And when I say eventually archaeology catches up the Bible, it just takes time. So you have this inscription extra biblically, outside of scripture. An ancient king, an enemy of the Israelites, having defeated the house of David. That's just one example. I could go on, but I could talk and talk. I'm not going to.
2: No, but you can't help it. This is what he's trying to say. You can't help it. So, for example, when we read our Bible and Jesus in Matthew says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And skeptics look at that and say, oh, it's a devotional book to make you feel better. And then you go through the evidence behind it that shows everything where his life, the, the history, can all be traced to actual facts and truth. It gives validity to what he's talking about. I'm going to give you another example um, because this is one of my favorites. This is just a riot to me. When uh, ISIS, when they went up north and they started attacking and, and just overdoing all the areas up there to destroy them. You know what the first thing is they destroyed was the tomb of Jonah. They went after the tomb of Jonah because what they wanted to do was eliminate any, any knowledge of Christianity. They wanted to destroy it. So when people read Jonah, what do most people think about?
0: Being in, in, the, in the belly of the being whale, in a, being right. in the fish three, in three days.
2: Fish. And that is like one of the smallest parts of Jonah. Right. That's not even what Jonah is about. Jonah is about this city called Nineveh. Mm-hmm. And God tells him he wants him to go to Nineveh and he won't. Now, the skeptics at the time in universities, before 1860s, scoffed at it. There was absolutely no recognition, no knowledge of Nineveh. It didn't exist. So they're making fun of it in universities, saying, look at how silly this story is. Nobody can live in a whale, nobody can live in a fish. And who are these Nineveh people? Well, guess what? So Austin Laird in in the 1860s, he's digging and he finds hundreds of feet under the sand the city of Nineveh. Now, the city of Nineveh, you how crazy this is. The city of Nineveh. Was, uh, had towers around it, 100 feet tall. It was 10-story building towers. In the corners, they were 20 feet tall. The, the walls around the city were over seven miles in diameter. The city was 30 miles in, in full perimeter. They used to race chariots side by side around the city walls in Nineveh. They were so powerful, the Assyrians, before the coming of Babylon and the Persians, they were the people, and there was no knowledge of them, none. And so you have this book of Jonah where God literally says in the book, I want you to go preach them. And you know why? Because it says they don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, someone has to go tell them moral standards set by the God of the Bible. Right? And so when you read about now about Assyria and you read about the Ninevites, they were a lot like ISIS. They slaughtered people. They were horrible people. God has pity on them. So when skeptics talk about how cruel God is of the Old Testament, we have history that demonstrates the Ninevites, the full city, demonstrates the mercy of God, and gives them the opportunity to repent. Then you have, last one, and I know we can go on and on with this, you have some amazing things happening. You have Austin Laird discovering what's called the library of Ashurbanipal, one of the kings, 10,000 tablets. And guess what you can do with those 10,000 tablets? You can tie the kings of Israel and Judah to the kings of Assyria and Bible verses that talk about Assyria and tie them all together and show a complete history. And here's one of the craziest ones. I've had this debate with skeptics. When um, Sennacherib, one of the kings, sends his emissary to Hezekiah, and you read in 1 Kings and Isaiah that, He says to him, don't listen to Hezekiah. Uh, Sennacherib is so powerful, he's going to wipe you out. So you need to bow to him. And who do you think this God of Israel is? And what happens is Isaiah goes to him and says, just relax. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. God is the real king. The next morning you wake up, 185,000 of the Assyrian army is laying dead. Now people read that story and what do they think? Oh, this is a joke. This means nothing. Well, right after that, it says... The army retreats, goes back to Assyria. Sinatra one night is in his bedroom and his two sons come in and murder him. Okay, so in the library of Ashurbanipal, they have the Stele that records the murder of Sinatra in his bedroom by his two sons. How does that, just think about how accurate we have the tying together of real historical facts. So therefore the 185,000, that really happened. Because we can show Mm -hmm. there's evidence that says this is really what happened to the king.
1: Yeah, and over and over again, Les, uh, again, uh, critics say the Bible can't be relied upon. Look, all the historical contradictions. Again, when I say the archaeology eventually always catches up to the Bible, uh, examples absolutely abound. So for for years and years and years, uh, scholars criticized Genesis 14 as unreliable. I mean, it's just not historical. And Genesis 14 is where Chedorlaomer and a coalition of four kings, ancient kings, march on five kings, um, er, and Sodom and Gomorrah being you know, two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Lot, Abraham's nephew, gets taken captive in this battle as these four kings assault Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot was living. He's taken captive. So Genesis 14 tells us, Abraham arms his men and go out to battle with Chetaliomer, some of which believe might be the ancient figure known as Hammurabi. Certainly would fit the time frame and the general place. So for years, though, scholars would say, well, these four kings never existed. There's no evidence historically that there was ever a coalition of these four kings led by this ancient king of Chetaliomer, as he was called. And then in the 1960s, the Ebla tablets, were uncovered, excavated from that very area. 17,000 tablets unearthed from this area of the Ebla kingdom. And lo and behold, guess what they discovered, Les? These four kings really did exist. Uh, They were very, very powerful kings of antiquity. From this part of the world. And so generations, there was no evidence outside of the Bible. Genesis 14 is a fabrication. It's a distortion. Archaeology catches up eventually, and the Ebla Tablets proved the historicity of Genesis 14. Right. Here's the deal. We can't prove everything in the Bible. There's not historical or archaeological evidence for everything on every page. But eventually, the evidence is so overwhelming one can prove enough of the Bible to believe the rest they can't prove. That's right. Irrational thinking says, wow, if this is true and this is true and this is true, and there's evidence for this and this and this and this, then maybe I can trust it. Uh, you know, we, we can't prove, for example, Jesus walked on water. That's, there's no evidence for that miracle. Uh, the footprints are not in the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. Right. But we can prove, as we will talk about in another podcast, that he came out of the grave. So if I can prove historically, rationally, using evidence that he rose from the dead, it's not a stretch at all to say, you know, I believe he probably walked on water too. Yeah, I I can't prove every historical event in the Bible, but I can prove enough to say the Bible is reliable. I can even prove some miracles. All right, in Joshua chapter 6, we're told that God made the walls of Jericho fall down without the Hebrew army ever laying a hand on it. You know the story. Mm -hmm. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and they marched around Jericho seven days, once a day. And on the seventh day, they'd march around it seven times, and the priests would blow the trumpets, and the walls would miraculously fall down. Well, in the 1930s, John Garstang— and a team of archaeologists uncovered the ancient city of Jericho. By the way, another place we go on the Holy Land Tour, you can stand on the very mound of the ancient city of Jericho, defeated by Joshua. And uh, Garstang discovered, as he uncovered Jericho, to his amazement, a stunning, stunning discovery. These walls had fallen outward. Outward. Oh, I love that. Not inward. Of course, it doesn't take a trained archaeologist to know that in the ancient days, a walled city was defeated with walls that would fall inwardly because the enemy was on the outside. Right. Attacking outside in. In this case, the walls fall out, not in. Um, and they were so convinced of what they found, they signed an affidavit, Garstang and three of his associates, putting their professional reputations on the line. Now, here's the deal. Uh, it, it's no different than in a court of law. You can have expert witnesses on one side, and he's a, quote, expert witness, and then the other side calls their expert witness. I mean, you, you can always find a scientist, a trained archaeologist, a go, oh, no, 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 let me tell you. Well, but Here's the point. You can't prove anything that somebody doesn't want to believe. That's right. In the court of law, it's not proof beyond all doubt. You can't do that. That's right. It's not possible, but it's proof beyond reasonable doubt. That is how we prosecute anything in a court of law. So here, here's the point. We are still saved by grace through faith. Why? Because it's not proof beyond all doubt. But at some point, if we're honest intellectuals pursuing the truth, we can say it's proof beyond reasonable doubt archaeology uh, archaeology over and over again confirms the historicity and the reliability of the bible and god calls us to reason yes he calls
2: us to reason you know you know these conversations sometimes what happens is a person who's trying to figure out if christianity is true they listen to this and they wonder okay what do i do with all this and very practically if you ever get called for jury duty no one will ever let you go in there and sit on a jury and say, well, i can't make a decision unless i was there and saw it happen, which is what we mean by proof, right? right. actually seeing the event. if you try that ploy with the judge, you're going to go to jail. because what's going to happen is you're deliberately called for a for a obvious reason. you do have common sense and you are able to use your brain. so you're going to sit there and if it's a if it's a uh civil case, you're going to do what, what our pastor just said, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, if it's a criminal case, it's going to be preponderance of the evidence, right? So they're going to expect a little more because the impact of the final jury decision is graver, right? You may end up, someone may end up losing their life. So you still don't have to sit there and weigh the evidence. So this is the problem we have as people wrestle with Archaeology and the other one we use is non-biblical authors. Those are two what we call external evidences. Those are applied to any type of literature. What you're saying is, okay, the author wrote this. Let's look outside of the author at things that you can then come back and look inside and see if they were right or wrong, right? And today we're talking archaeology. So as you look at this evidence, the person examining it to make a decision, guess what they're doing? they're weighing in their personal hearts within themselves the risk they're willing to take to decide whether or not archaeology is really demonstrating that the Bible's true. Because what happens once you've made the decision that you're going to trust the Bible that it's true? What happens?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I might even add, when we think about witnesses and expert witnesses, what makes a witness really credible is when— They're not filtering the facts through a personal bias, a personal agenda. In this case, you have trained scientists who really are trained simply to follow the facts wherever they lead. Uh, William F. Albright is renowned within archaeology to this day as one of the greatest archaeologists who ever lived. He was no Christian, he was no believer. Yet he came to the conclusion after years and years of excavations. In the Holy Land, Uh, here's world-renowned William F. Albright. Here's his conclusion: There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament tradition. Uh, He was no Christian. He 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 certainly uh, at the time was not trying to prove the Bible was true. He's simply a scientist telling the truth of his the evidence he's found. See, that's a credible credible witness. Right. Uh, you have Nelson Gluck, the renowned Jewish archaeologist. Uh, he's not a Christian, Les. He, he, he's not trying to prove anything. He's just a scientist. He happens to be Jewish. Going after the facts. It, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. The almost incredibly accurate historical memory of the Bible, and particularly so when it is fortified by archaeological fact. So, again, there's no evidence anyone can present to make someone believe who's already cited by, gum. I'm not going to believe. But if, on the other hand, you're talking to someone who just really doesn't know, they just genuinely need some evidence. Show me why it's not a blind faith. Give me reasons to believe. Well, over and over again, archaeologists gives you reasons you can believe. And what you had mentioned with Albright, too, um, that—
0: he not a believer just about fact. He was talking and talking about archaeology. He stated that it um, the in this Ed, you you brought us this too, but I want to want to put this out there. It says the excessive skepticism shown toward the Bible by important 18th and 19th century schools of the past has been progressively discredited. So through archaeology, he's discrediting skeptics. And this is a guy, as far as Christianity goes, doesn't have a dog in the hunt, right? He's just simply unearthing archaeological evidence, which is disproving skeptics of archaeological evidence.
2: Right. It's, uh, I guess for me, as I look at all this information, I always say this, I always keep bringing, coming back to this point, all this evidence that really people need in order to make decisions in their life, whether it's how to drive a car, uh, where to go for a doctor for the best diagnosis of your illness, you You gather evidence to give yourselves a clear path for what you think is the right thing to do, but in the end, you look at it all and you're going to make a decision, and God has given people free will to decide, and sometimes their own bias gets in their way, mm-hmm. right? Right I'm sitting with a guy this past Tuesday. We're sitting there talking, and I'm talking to him about uh, biblical truth in Jesus Christ. And like so many young Christians, there, when I ask them if they understand what this means, and I, I, one of my favorite places, I'm in Isaiah, and I'm talking about this whole idea in Isaiah 50, where it literally says, I gave my back to those who struck me. Now, Isaiah is written in 730 BC. And I asked him, I said, so what do you think this person is saying? And he goes, oh, uh, he was willing to back up to guard himself against anybody who would try to attack him. And I said, Well, think about the crucifixion and what happened right before the crucifixion. You're tied to a a pole and your back is whipped. You're scourged. I said, now this is 730 BC. Scourging as a practice before crucifixion was invented by the Romans. And here you are in 730 being told that some guy was willing to turn and give his back. And then he explains why he did that. I said, so what's going on here? As we talked last week with the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is archaeological evidence before the events were ever in place that some person would be willing, and it says, listen to my father and give my back to those who struck me. And I said, now, why was this person willing to do it? And this is the beauty of Isaiah. It says, not because he loved me. This person, it doesn't say in there, I loved." I love future people so much I wanted my back to be scourged. It said, because my dad told me to. Mm. So in Isaiah, it says, my father gave me a command. And it says, I know if I do what my father says, I'll never be disgraced or ashamed. Isn't that exactly what we do raising our kids? We hope that our kids will listen to us and then they'll, we'll be proud of them and they'll never be ashamed no matter what anyone else thinks. This is archaeology and this is the truth of the crucifixion and
0: Jesus Christ. Mm, that's amazing. So, there are people out there, maybe listening right now, that, okay, where can, where can I find this stuff? I'm, I'm hearing it on the podcast. Um, wh- what can I look up? Where can I go to find this information on the archaeological evidence that proves that we can trust the Bible?
2: You know, we, I, I'm just going to jump in and say this. Our church is so open to this. So, one thing that, that our pastor, And our staff keeps saying is, guys, come with your questions. It's okay. If you have a concern, you have a beautiful Abundant Life website. You can sign up and you can chat with a pastor. I mean, it's right there. All you have to do is say, I would love to learn more.
0: Livingproof.co.
2: That's it. So that's one place. The second one is obviously FSC University is a ministry in Abundant Life. You can come to the ministry Sunday morning classes and come learn with your questions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Les, here's the deal. We're blessed at Abundant Life with lots and lots and lots of amazing people of which you are one, even though you didn't bring us food. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet. (laughs) (laughs) But we are blessed, frankly, that we have a resident, I'll just say expert in Ed Credo. Amen to that. And he has given his life. I've known Ed at least 18 years now. Um, Ed, you were one of the first new faces I saw when our church was meeting down in the school SCA while we were building our first building. And you know, when you preach, you look at people, especially when they're new and we we're small enough at the time. I recognize right away, there's a new face I haven't seen before. And you can just tell in people's eyes, man, if they're with you or not. And I knew this guy, I don't know who he is. I haven't even met him. I don't know his name, but he loves the word of God. Amen, man. He loves the word of God. And here's a guy who is scientifically trained as an engineer, statistician, that is trained. He thinks this way. He thinks rationally. He's a rational thinker. Uh, and, and Ed, you, you do. You make me smarter. You make us all smarter. Oh, yes. Thank you. Oh, yes. And I tell people, you know, I know a lot, but anything I don't know, Ed knows. So, you know, together we know everything. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I don't know that much. So it tells you, Ed what I think of you. I'm deeply thankful for you. Not just because you are a, a thinker and genuinely a scholar and intellectual, but more than anything, your heart, mm. It's your heart for God, it's your heart for the word of God, not simply your mind. But here's the point for anybody listening out there. We have, you have an opportunity every Sunday morning to go spend time with Ed Croto, ask him anything you want. And in all seriousness, joking aside, nobody knows everything. But, uh, but it's a process of learning. Learning is a cumulative compounding, um, pursuit. Uh, it's, it's a little at a time, little here, a little over the years. So start somewhere. Uh, and you don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to have a scientific mind. I'm in the class and that proves you don't have to have any of those things. Look, I was a C student in school and I probably could have been a B student had I tried. Okay. My point is, uh, I'm not, I'm not one of the most intellectually, um, scholastically inclined people, not nearly as much as a lot of people think. And I say that to be real because a lot of people think, well, I'm just not smart enough to do this. No, you are. I promise you are. So where do you go? I'm telling you where to go. 930 Sunday morning, spend time with Ed. Uh, and then beyond that, there's more resources than ever less available today. So much has been done so well from, you know, I cut my teeth on Josh McDowell. Evidence demands a verdict. Great book. Evidence demands, uh, more evidence demands a verdict, you know, more than a carpenter. Uh, and then along came Lee Strobel, who kind of said the same thing in a different way. Case for Christ, case for faith, case for Easter. Just you know, Here's a lawyer. They're both attorneys, by the way, taking a very legal factual approach to the evident. Uh, And, you know, there's other great authors out there. Um, The stuff that Ed has published is some of the very best. Those are great places to start. I want to say this real quick, Ed, and then we'll go ahead and close. I I hate the fact that we run up against the time
0: frame here, but in being in that class with my son, it's all the things that Pastor Phil said. But also, I want people to understand, too, that when you come into the class— Ed, the way you run it, you elicit conversation, right? You elicit the questions and right. you post things. So people actually interact. So it's not just, you're just not listening to information that Ed is throwing on. You're using your own mind that God gave you, your own heart, your own reasoning to discover the evidence of God's word. And archaeology is one of the things that we talk about in the class. Yeah. But you bring that out of me. I'm, I, I'm always excited to go to church, but I am equally excited to go to your class, and my son is too because I know I'm going to learn something, and God is using you in a mighty way. So thank you for not just offering the class, but and and thank you, Pastor Phil, for allowing us to offer the class through Abundant Life. But um, just thanks for the way you lead it because we are a partner with you, and and you take us along that ride of of learning. So thank you.
2: Yeah, and I, and I'll I'll make this quick, but. How boring would it be to come to a class where some guy stands up there and throws things at you for an hour? I wouldn't come to that class again. I went to four and a half years of college of that. Oh, my goodness. So the whole point is the, the goal is not to tell you what to think. Right. It's how to think. And the only way you're going to get there is if you allow people to come out and be in the open and talk about areas that they're unsure of. And then where do you go for the answers? You go to the Bible. Right. So you go to the Bible and you go to what Jesus said. So first to do that, you have to demonstrate it's worth going to the Bible because our culture doesn't think so. And our culture, quite frankly, is so wrong and so out in left field. This is why now we're in a post-Christian America. Who on earth, this is, this is a soapbox thing and I'm promised 10 seconds. <laughs> Who on earth would think the 10 commandments aren't worth following? I mean, what is wrong with saying, here's a great idea, don't steal. Here's a great idea, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. I mean, these things are like the things, the basic things to teach children as they're developing just to be good citizens. So when you think about it, the Christian worldview by far just stands up there with a beacon shining at you saying, pay attention because your culture is all messed up. And that's why we do it, is to make you
0: think about the world you're living in and why the gospel is so meaningful. So 9.30s on Sunday in the basement core yep. building at Abundant Life. What's the website, Ed? F-S-E dot life. That's awesome. it. Yeah. Please go. You'll see my goofiness there. My favorite nerd will be leading the class, Mr. Ed Croteau, um, while Pastor Phil's over here in the other building leading and one of our three services here in the main building. Gentlemen, always a pleasure Always an honor. I appreciate your insight. I appreciate your heart and appreciate your love of Jesus, man. Thank you both. Thanks for having us again, Les. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So again, this is episode four of the series, Sharing the Gospel in Post-Christian America. This was Why We Can Trust Our Bible, the Archaeological Evidence. Next time, make sure you come back. Why We Can Trust Our Bible, Prophecy. That, That excites me. I mean, they're all exciting and unique, but man, that... Um, that one I'm just going to ask one question just sit back and listen to you two roll we need two hours at least yeah we'll (laughs) we'll shorten it a little bit maybe it'll be a part one and a part two who knows we'll just see (laughs) where where the spirit takes us with that but but make sure you check out and then the previous uh, Watching World podcast those episodes one two and three you know knowing what you believe and why you believe it why is it so crucial why we can trust the New Testament the Old Testament Uh, so make sure you tune in for those so um, it's a pleasure and again um, questions, uh, more about abundant life, just visit livingproof.co. All the information's on there. So on behalf of Ed Creteau and lead pastor Phil Hopper, I'm Liz Norman. Thanks as always for joining us on the Watching World podcast.